Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Thanks very much for joining us on the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast today. I'm Mike David here with Ken Early. How you doing, now? I'm doing pretty good, Ken. No Kieran Murphy today. He's, um, well, he's getting married in about two hours' time, as we record, about two hours' time from now. And he seems to feel this is an adequate excuse to take a day off work. Mm. But we're going to truck on ourselves uh, before we... Well, we're going to truck on with you guys. I mean, we'd, we'd rather be here right now, and yeah. we'll join up with the festivities a little bit well, later on today. Well, we might do. <laughs> we're pros, Ken, we're pros. And I have to start by telling you some more great news. You may have seen this if you've been following our Twitter feed for the last day or so. The Irish Times' second captain's podcast has been named by iTunes as the best podcast of 2014. So a massive thank you to... Is that a global award or...? Yeah, let's, well, let's say global, Ken. Global number one. I mean, it doesn't say... You know, it's, it's, second captain's it's, number it's one. It's on there on iTunes, yeah. Serial probably... Bothering serial, the top serial. two or three Sure, places. I listen to it all the time and can't wait for the next episode. But come <laughs> on... <laughs> Yeah, look, you know, will Serial still be here this time next year? Well, actually, no, that would go against the whole concept. Well, no, they are looking for a second series. But why are we talking about Serial, again? This is about us. Okay. A massive thank you for downloading the show, for interacting with it so much. <laughs> and also a big thanks to the Irish Times for all their support and to the good people at Rabo Direct who've come on board as sponsors this year. And congrats to Serial also on all their success so far this year. <laughs> we're breaking them all. <laughs> yeah, in podcast. Someone eventually was going to come along and do this, right? Yeah, we're all looking forward to it. <laughs> Yeah. We're all looking forward to kicking on in 2015, Ken. Something that Liverpool won't be able to do, at least not in the Champions League. Uh, it's called a segue, Ken. That's true, but they do have, they will always have the Europa League. Liverpool, they, yeah, they really made a right a right mess of it, it turns out. And they they pretty much decided not to bother with one of their games, which was a mistake. Which you know? one was that? That was the Real Madrid match. On the Real Madrid in the Bernabeu. Oh, yeah, of course. Probably the last chance Steven Gerrard's ever going to get to play there. And he sat on the bench for the first 70, 75 minutes. Um, yeah, that was a mistake. I mean, if you don't even believe in the possibility that things might go your way, they're not going to go your way. And so 
uh, they end up getting knocked out by Basel, which I don't think was really even all that surprising result. What is a surprise, maybe, is how disgraceful their overall performance was, you know, to finish the group with, what, five points? I yeah, Jared said afterwards, he said, it's a disgrace. Uh, were you unlucky? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Well, deserve, it, or did he deserve to go through? I mean, Jared, Jared knows, you know, there's no, there's no easy answer there, you know? If he says, yeah, we were unlucky, everyone's just going to be laughing at him, you know? So he might as well say, no, we were rubbish. Which is what he did. And Brendan Rogers enthusiastically agreed with it. Yes, we were all rubbish. We are all to blame. <laughs> Does it really work that way, though? Uh, you know, not, not, when, uh, not, not in the long term. It's not everybody. I mean, eventually all those players will be, will be gone from Liverpool. Uh, but they might not be the first ones out the door. On the Liverpool theme, Ken, it's time for one of these. I've got a call here that says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh God. That's just it. I just wow. mentioned, not you, no me. Okay, ain't nobody fucking with my click. Click, 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 click. Ain't nobody fresher than my mom. We don't normally click, broadcast all click, the, the stuff click, that comes from scum click, around the country. Click. But we do, Ken. And uh, this is the virtual mail satchel. Today's piece of scum is Anthony in Cork. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony asks, I'm not sure if I keep getting away with, with calling our email. Well, what does he say? Let's anyway, he he asks, Hi, Owen. Can you ask Ken if he gets more satisfaction from a scoop interview with Robbie Keane or from being right about Brendan Rogers? It was short and sweet, this one. Well, look, I, I wouldn't, I, I, you know, I, I, I take no satisfaction uh, from either of those things. From interviewing Robbie Keane in L.A.? That's just, it's just, you know, does the postman take satisfaction from delivering mail? I would imagine so. Do you think? There's a certain amount of satisfaction in, in a day's work. I suppose the more well-adjusted the postman, the greater the satisfaction They're always whistling postmen, aren't work. they? Except when those dogs chase them away. I mean, that, that, that annoys There me. is that phrase as well, going postal. But doesn't that usually, doesn't that tend more to refer to workers back at the, at the mail sorting facility rather than the actual postmen who are getting out and about mm. in the fresh air? Walking around, getting exercise. To be honest, there's a lot worse jobs. Oh, there are. I mean, the most famous postman in the world always looked happy when he delivered. Again, that's Carl the Mailman Malone, the great NBA player. I assumed you were going to say Postman Pat. Oh, yeah, well, Postman Pat's probably more famous. Even. Also a happy, happy, happier looking than Fabio Capello, the man he looks a bit like. So well, you're dodging the, the question. Your question, the question was, was, was no. are you happier that you're right about Brendan Rodgers? But, but, but I mean, uh, how do we know that I'm right about Brendan Rodgers? Currently, it looks as though you may be. Uh... I mean, it looks as though Luis Suarez was a very important uh, piece of the jigsaw. He was the whole jigsaw. The jigsaw was just a photograph of Luis Suarez. And then there was a bunch of Liverpool players standing there going, wow, look at that. What a player. I can't believe we're in the team with this guy. Um, and once he was gone, then they, there wasn't really much left to the team. But, you know, it, it, it would be un- it's not exactly scientifically proven that it's all... Uh, that it's Brendan Rodgers' fault or that, you know, Brendan Rodgers wasn't... Okay, because Brendan, you you could make an argument that in fact it was the combination of Suarez and Rogers that led to such a fantastic spell of form last season. It was the presence of both of those men there together, working together, the creative tension between them. I'm not going to suggest though, and that they were they were the best friends football has ever seen. I'm not going to suggest they even necessarily agreed with each other about a lot of stuff, but maybe. That relationship between them was just, uh, there was a sort of a creative spark uh, that lit Anfield up uh, for some time. And once Suarez is gone, okay, it looks as though everything has collapsed in his absence because he was the one who was doing it all along. He was one of the best players in the world and all the other players were kind of being dragged along in his in his wake. Um, 
some of the players were playing really well with him. You know, players like Coutinho and Sterling, you know, were sort of learning how to be a top footballer from this example. A guy like Sturridge, who is a sidekick, was perfectly adapted uh, to the role uh, of standing there unmarked, scoring goals uh, because the defenders were all on Suarez. And then, you know, hinting afterwards that maybe he'd like to be the main man one day. Perfect setup. You know, not having to come in and actually be the main man, actually deliver week after week in the, in the way that Suarez was. Now, you could, you could say that. You could say maybe that's what's happened. Or you could say, well, it was a combination of the two of them. They had a great working relationship, Rodgers and Suarez, two, uh, poles, of, of exa- two poles of energy uh, from which the Liverpool team and their varying guises drew. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's a more complicated theory. Mm. You know, and they do say the simplest answer is often the correct one. But I, I can't say that just what we've seen this season necessarily proves that Rodgers didn't have anything to do with what was happening last season. Right. Anthony, you haven't got a full and frank uh, answer to your question, but thanks very much. You can send your emails to secondcaptains at irishtimes.com. US Murph later in this show. Uh, he is the world's most enthusiastic broadcaster, but his 49ers were beaten last weekend by local rivals, the Oakland Raiders. Um, now, the Raiders... It was their second win of the season, and that season's been going quite a few months at this stage, so hopefully Brian will be okay. And Andy Lee has a shot of glory in Las Vegas in the early hours of Sunday morning. Let's talk about this right now. He's up against Matt Karaboff for the WBO middleweight title of the world. It's a chief support bout for the Bradley Chavez fight in the Cosmopolitan Hotel there. And Richie Woodall is on the line. Richie's a former Olympic bronze medalist and world super middleweight champion. And in studio, delighted to welcome Darren O'Neill, former Irish middleweight champion, captain of the Irish team at London 2012. Darren, we've gotten to know Andy reasonably well over the last uh, over the last little while. You obviously know him better. You've been in camps with him. You've sparred with him over the years. Uh, wh- how are you feeling yourself? Are you nervous? Are you excited? Yeah, bits of both, to be honest. Um, I know Andy a long time. I would have been in training camps with him for years. We would have been sparring partners for a long time, especially as juniors. Um, Andy would have it would be a year older than I am, so we would have boxed junior at the same time. Um, I was a weight above Andy, but we used to be, as I say, sparring partners for a long time. And God, you know, I used to dread sparring him at times. He'd, he'd murder you. But, uh, you know, I'm kind of excited for him now. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult stage for Andy, or a difficult, I suppose, task for him at the stage of his career that he's in because he's a... Uh, uh, you know, I suppose the professional game is a little bit different. People are kind of making this as his his make or break fight. Um, you know, and he's against a, a very, very, very tough opponent. So it's it's going to be a big challenge for him. But I'm really excited for it as well. Well, Richie, is it his make or break fight at this stage of his career? I think so. I think he's had one. You know, he's had one shot, hasn't he, against Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. And that didn't uh, turn out well for him. But he's experienced that then at the top. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's, he's getting to the stage now where he's had a few fights, hasn't he, Andy Lee? Uh, but, yeah, he's, listen, this kid's got the talent. He's experienced the World Championship fight before, so he knows what it's all about. He, his opponents certainly haven't. So, yeah, he, he's got a great chance of beating Korobov. Have you, have you aspired with Korobov, uh, Darren? No, I've never actually been in the ring with him, uh, funnily enough. I've been in the camps with him and I've been in the same uh, European Championships but uh, I've never actually sparred him or been in the ring with him. Um, a little bit to my, I suppose, disappointment back in the time, but at the same time, I was a little bit grateful not to be getting... Uh, well, yeah, tell us about this guy's evening. amateur. I mean, having seen him up close, seen him spar, I, I, I read somewhere that uh, that Billy Walsh actually got you guys to model yourselves on him. He, he was so good that this is the sort of amateur, what an amateur fighter should be. Yeah, I wouldn't say we were modelled off him, but I suppose we did uh, do quite a lot, of, a lot of kind of research into what he actually does and the tactics that he used. Um, from an amateur point of view, he was absolutely outstanding. He's one of the best amateurs I've ever seen boxing. 
um, you know, he, he's fainting his distance and, and his, I suppose his defensive footwork was all absolutely phenomenal. Uh, his range of punches was phenomenal and he had power and speed to go with it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, looking, looking at his record, amateur-wise, a lot of people won't actually recognise him because he didn't win an Olympic gold or he didn't win an Olympic medal. Um, and, you know, I suppose reports coming from the camp back before Beijing was that they had burned him out just before he, he went there. Um, you know, he's multiple European, multiple world titles against absolutely top quality opponents and has handled them all quite easily. So, you know, he, he definitely has a massive background behind him in amateur boxing and at the big stage. So I don't I don't overly see, I suppose, it being a world title fight um, being something that's going to face him. But, you know, maybe he hasn't been in with the, with the standard as, as high as Andy Lee before and hopefully that's going to be the telling factor. Yeah, I guess that's the question, Richie. I mean, you see is, uh, that amateur pedigree is unbelievable and he's unbeaten as a professional, but there seems to be a sense that he hasn't, it hasn't really taken off for him professionally so far. He maybe he hasn't had the biggest fights at this stage. No, I mean, you know, he's only been 10 rounds the once where I think Andy Lee probably gone six or seven times over 10. They both haven't been over 12 yet. But, um, you know, Korobov, he's one of those, I think he's got a record as an amateur, over 300 wins, hasn't he, something like that, and only probably a dozen losses. So, uh, as Darren has said, he's a very experienced man. And what it is now with these Russians, there's a wave of Russian fighters now that turn pro, and they turn pro quite late because they have, they have a long sort of um, apprenticeship, if you like, as amateurs. They, go, they do an Olympic cycle. Some of them will do two Olympic cycles. They'll go to three or four world championships, and so it's a, it's a steady progression, and you know they all medal. I mean, Korobov, double double sorry world champion Golovkin. He was 24 when he turned pro. Kovalev, light heavy, he was 26 when he turned pro. So they leave it very very late in the game before they actually turn pro. Long amateur careers, and so when they actually turn, they're, they're seasoned already, and it doesn't take them long then to, to get on the the world stage and get those world title fights under their belts but looking at his record as a, as a pro it looks great he's a terrific fighter yes but his opposition hasn't been in the calibre of Andy Lee and Andy Lee has been in with some real good fighters like I say uh, Chavez Jr and Brian Vera uh, the kid who beat him first was a good fighter you know and he obviously reversed that decision John Jackson was 18-1 and one going into the fight with, with uh, Andy Lee and he probably threw the best shot I've seen for a long time, knockout of the year, that will be for me. So, you know, he, ha- he has got the experience on his side, but he's up against it. I really believe that. But Andy Lee, very tall, and if he uses his physical advantages, advantages to his advantage, then he can make Korobov miss and you make him pay. I think he's got a box of that counterpuncher. And he can, he can beat this fellow, I think. We spoke to Andy on the show last week, lads. We'll just uh, listen to this. He was speaking a little bit about the tactics he's got to employ in the fight. Korobov is was regarded at one stage when he was amateur as the best amateur boxer in the world. And he's a very good technical fighter. He has good quick hands and good quick feet. Um, and he likes to feint a lot. And the reason um, how you can beat speed, or a guy who may be, you know, um, who might be slightly faster than me, is by timing. And I plan on... He, he fights very similar, like, an, like more so like an amateur and I I plan on fighting like a like a seasoned professional which I am and breaking him up with the jab um, I think the jab is will be the key to this fight it'll set the tempo and it'll thwart any attack that he tries to make if he tries to because um, he tries to feign for it and then he kind of lunges in with three or four quick shots um, but what we're working on is a point like it's not a non-punch in boxing called the breakup jab that you kind of throw it in between the combination and it kind of 
just puts off their combination. It shuts them down almost. So I know I have to match him in the early stages of the fight um, for speed and footwork and boxing-wise. And I think as the, the longer the fight goes, the more in fa- more favour it'll be, more in my favour it'll be because he's been known to tire in the later stages of fights. And um, with the condition I've been doing it and the work, my plan is to come on strong in the second half of the fight. Darren, I'm trying to read your reaction to that. You were smiling to some of it, nodding along. Other parts of it, you didn't seem so sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, Andy, I suppose, quite rightly pointed out that Karbov was uh, considered one of the best amateurs in the world. But, you know, he's boxing profession quite a while now as well. He's uh, obviously gone after Beijing. He's 24 fights. Um, funnily enough, I was looking at his record, it's only 14 knockouts. Now, he would have been considered a very, I suppose, a concussive boxer or puncher, I should say, as an amateur even, which would be, I suppose... You know, knockouts at that stage weren't really, I suppose, uh, often seen in amateur, and he would have quite a few knockouts behind him, which hasn't transpired into the professional game for him. So, you know, maybe it's, you know, one or two of his fights that I have watched, he's a little bit more down his feet, which is a professional style. But I suppose the negative that I'm taking out of that, um, Andy's talking about being a seasoned professional, and he is, and he will have to use that. But I would like to see Andy use a little bit more of his amateur, his his uh, his old boxing techniques. Um, I think he's. Although setting down his feet to get the power in his punches, I think he's sitting a little bit too low. Sitting, he's not using his height, which is something that he's going to have to use against Carbo. This has struck me a little bit watching Andy in some of his fights. He's getting into brawls with these guys, and you're yeah. thinking, "Why are you doing this? You're just you're a much better boxer." Yeah, yeah, he he really is. You know that job is very important, and Andy has a tremendous job. He always had. Um, hopefully, he will he will use it well. But I think it's important that Andy stands up tall. He's six foot two or six foot three. Karbov is is barely reaching five eleven, you know. So I suppose that height advantage is something that he's going to have to utilize. And you know, if he gets the little the boxing tactics right, if he gets he suppose his counter punching correct, and you know he can time, as you say, time uh, Karbov's attacks, then it will be I suppose to Andy's advantage. Another I suppose aspect which Andy says is about timing, but I think. For someone who's a little bit faster than you, it's important that you leave that extra little bit of space. And with Andy having that reach advantage, he should use, use that. If he stands out, it's going to take Harbaugh that little bit longer to reach him from a further distance. So it's all about his distance being correct and, his, and I suppose, his time and, and his, uh, using the height advantage. Yeah, and I suppose, Richie, we, sh- we should say that the, I'm asking him in an interview last week about his tactics. He mightn't be revealing his full hand here. So maybe he is thinking along the lines of what Darren says there. But what, what do you make of the, the tactical nuances of that? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't read too much into it, to be quite honest, because he'll know in his own mind what he's got to do. And it might chop and change as the contest goes on. He might have to adapt here and there. But I, I agree with Darren. Um, I think he's got a command from the centre of the ring. The jab is going to be absolutely crucial. But like Darren says, he's got to maintain that gap between himself and his opponents. And if he can do that, keep him at bay, use the height and reach, command with the jab. And as Karabov then as he's coming forward, catching as he's coming forward, rather, because what, what Andy Lee doesn't want to be doing is in mid and short range, because he's not really designed for that type of work. He's mid-long range, and that's what he's got to do. And that's why the jab's so important. But ring position is absolutely crucial. Centre of the ring, stay off the ropes. Because generally, when tall fighters get on the ropes, their feet come square, and then your target comes full onto your opponent. So if you can command from the centre, stand tall, and just keep that gap, maintain that gap. He can do it. And the one thing I would say, you know, with fights like Karabov, Gennady Golovkin, if you make mistakes, they punish you. So what Andy doesn't want to be doing is missing with the jab, overreaching, because he'll get caught. He's got to be accurate, he's got to be sharp, and he's got to be focused, basically. Yeah, I'd agree 100% with what I was just saying. 
Um, Andy, I suppose, through the years has always had very, very sharp punches. And as we saw the last day, with his uh, that finishing hook and outstanding punch, it's a long distance shot, you know, as someone is lunging at you. Unfortunately, he had his back to the rope at the time and it worked out for him. But if he can do that from the middle of the ring, and as soon as Korbov attacks, meet him with those punches at the same time at long range, it's going to make it very, very difficult for, for uh, Madhavik Korbov. You know, I think Andy, since he's turned professional, has somewhat kept his amateur style in, sense, in a sense that he's always engaged in the fight. So I think it's going to be important in this fight that he picks his battles. He, he takes his, I suppose... What do you mean by being always engaged in the fight? He's, he's always engaged in the sense that he's right there in front of his opponent all the time. So I think there's at stages here, as Richie has said, that neither of them have gone to 12 rounds. So it'll be who will be most experienced within this fight that they'll do their, their attack and then take a little bit of a walk, take a little bit of a rest, you know, conserve their energy. Um, you know, they say, they say pick your battles, but in this case it's pick your punches or pick your attacks and then get out of there, relax, you know, calm the body because I suppose using up that energy all the time is something that will tell in the latter round. So it's imperative that Andy does so and conserves himself because the latter rounds are going to be vital. If Especially if Korbov starts off quickly, he's going to need to dominate the last half. Is this the big test for Adam Booth's training of Andy Lee, Richie as well? I think so, but Adam Booth has experienced, you know, world championship fights before, so he's a good tactician, he's Adam Booth, um, but they've got to get the tactics right. I mean, last week we've seen a great cracking contest between Billy Joe Saunders and Chris Eubank Jr., but, you know, Eubank Jr. probably lost it to starting too slow, and he even admitted afterwards that he'd never been 12 rounds before, so there's always that question mark in, in a fighter's mind, whether he can go the distance, how he's going to feel, has he got to save his energy for the last couple of rounds, and that's what probably cost Eubank Jr. the fight. Now, if, if you look at uh, the records of Kurbov and Andy Lee, like I say, Andy, they both haven't been 12 rounds, but Andy Lee has been 10 rounds six or seven times. He's been he's been over that distance more than Kurbov. He's only been 10 rounds once. So, you know, in terms of experience as a pro, then Andy Lee has definitely got it you know, over, over his opponents. But tactics will be crucial. But you've got a very good man in Andy Lee's corner in um, Adam Booth. And I'm sure... I'll be well equipped, and and I really believe. I mean, most people I speak to are going car above, car above. But Andy Lee, if he uses his height and reach, he could, uh, he could win this fight. And I really hope he does. I well, think yeah, the kid deserves it. What do we think then, Richie? It sounds like you're close to uh, predicting an upset, but but are you close enough? Is Andy going to win? Yeah, I think he will win. Um, I think he's got the style. To, to beat Korobov. Um and I think if he can frustrate Korobov, make him miss, make him make mistakes then he could do it, yeah. And like I say, because he sampled that big occasion before, he'll be, he'll be very eager to obviously to, to, to win the title. But at the same time, he, he will be relaxed because he's experienced it before. So I believe this is his time um, and he could do it. And if he gets the tactics right with Adam Booth, then yeah, I'm, I'm going for an Andy Lee on points. If he use that height and reach advantage, Andy Lee's a very difficult man to get to. If he sits back works with that jab, keeps your opponent at bay, which he, if he can do here, yeah, he could frustrate this guy, and um, I'm hoping he does, and I'm going, I'm putting my neck on the line here, and I'm going to have Andy Lee by points. Sounds good. Darren? Yeah, I mean, look, the bookies have Andy 2-1 and Karbov his favour, but as I suppose Richie's saying, it's all down to the fight that occurs in the night. If Andy stands up tall, uses that height advantage, uses his reach, I suppose, keeps his distance and, and I suppose uses the energy as he needs to use it, then I think Andy's in with a great chance and we'd all obviously love to see Andy do so well. Um, so, I suppose, I, you know, I don't know if I'm being biased here, but I'm going to say with Richie and be edging slightly towards Andy if he boxes the, way, the fight that he can box. Yeah, well, I'm sure Richie is heading straight on to a Russian podcast now <laughs> to predict a Karabakh victory, but Richie, great to talk to you. Darren, thanks a million. No problem. Thanks a lot. 
flame hair, flame hair, flame throw of truth, Mr. Ken Early. Every so often, I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around and bite someone. John Hayes, I'm talking about, Alan. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. Yeah, and best of luck to Andy at the weekend, just in terms of TV uh, coverage of this one. Ah, it's a funny one with boxing. Um, it's on Box Nation, which you can you can get. I mean, I'm, I've been looking into it over the last uh, few hours here, and it seems, as a UPC customer, uh, if, any, if any UPC heads are listening, you can you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I can get Box Nation on UPC. Either way, you have to pay for it. I mean, that's it's a, it's a pay-per-view thing, but uh, it doesn't even seem to be available on UPC. If you're a Sky customer in Ireland, I think you can get it. And certainly you can get it online, so you can stream it. But again, you can stream Box Nation online, but they don't seem to sell individual fights. So you pay a tenner to register. Uh, you pay €15 Euro a month then, uh, and you take it from there, which, you know, Watching sport on TV is quite expensive if you've got mm. the Sky Sports package, you've got the Stantis package, and you have to pay extra for boxing. But I do really want to watch this fight. I suppose there is an option there to pay your tenner to register, yeah. pay your 15 per month, yeah. and finish up after a month or two. I mean, there's no, there's no minimum. You could do that. You could do that. It just seems a bit. I don't know what else people do when confronted with the high costs for televised sport. I, don't, I mean, I don't know if there's any, anything else that people are doing out there these days. Yeah. Um... I can't think of any legal options. Ken. Yeah. Uh, before you stray too far too far into ter- dodgy territory, I know you're interested in the just on that you're you were interested in the recent expose of doping in Russian sport which you talked about. Not that Karabov has been implicated in any of that, but it's something that I would be scared of if I was a boxer fighting against a Russian boxer. I mean it's <laughs> it's difficult to trust it's difficult to have any trust in the system of sport in Russia mm. at the moment. I mean, given what Given what has been said there, I mean, there was always, you know, this sort of, I mean, in the, you know, during the kind of Cold War, the it, you know, the nineteen eighties, sort of the golden age of steroids. Um, I think the Americans were um, every bit as sophisticated. I mean, they competed on several fronts. Um, you know, the space race, um, the the nuclear arms race, and the drugs and sport race. Uh, and when we look at the medal table, the U- United States usually seem to win. Uh, usually seemed to come out ahead, but you know there was obviously this uh, sort of tradition of of that in the Soviet Union. Well, yeah, but I mean, well, we're going back to the eighties now. But yeah, the, but it seems to have there was plenty of doping in America in in nineteen eighties. Well, were, that's what I'm uh, saying. That's what I'm saying. The, the yeah. United States, yeah. you know, I mean, if 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 the the Soviet Union and East Germans were all doping the heads oh, yeah. off themselves, and the Americans, and the Americans were, were competing quite well. <laughs> you know, with some athletes who who went on to die uh, quite promptly after the. Um, after you know proving their superhuman uh, performance at the Olympics, you know those kinds of things, obviously. But you know it's something which, in which, I mean, I'm glad I'm to say, in Russia hasn't 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 really gone away. Um, well, it's been recently. It's been recently. Uh, it's brand new evidence. We're talking about current sports people talking. There, there's been. We've talked about this in the show last week. This German TV documentary, which came out, which with a lot of evidence, which hasn't been refuted to me in any sort of meaningful way for, uh, by the Russian authorities that I've seen. Anyway, of course, they've said this is all lies and all the rest yeah, of it. But yeah. I mean, like a lot of. Like, it seems like a lot of uh, sort of state agencies or regulatory agencies uh, in Russia have. Um, been turned into money-making uh, rackets for the people who work in them. 
which is a kind of a symptom of, of you know, a kind of a fraying state. I mean, Russia is a really rich country, um, but unfortunately, it seems as though a lot of the money is belongs to quite a small fraction of the population. And then if you're working in, say, you know, the drug testing body or, the, you know, whatever the Russian equivalent of the sports council is, and your job is going around drug testing mm. people, <laughs> and they just offer you more money than you're getting to not test them or to just, you know, give a baby's urine in or something like that. A lot of people are going to say, yeah, you know what? I don't really care about these drugs and sport. Everyone's doing it anyway. It's not like I care. It's not like it's my fault. And frankly, I should be paid more. So if you are going to give me all this money, uh, then... Uh, then I guess we've got a deal. On the doping issue, Joe Schmidt has answered questions on the stories surrounding drugs and rugby, the recent stories. this was I, I assume he was um, cornered about this on the... I should say cornered about this, but I assume he was questioned about this at the Phyllis Manager of the Year Awards yesterday. He won the, the Manager of the Year for his achievements. He says, I'd question the amount of evidence. One thing I'm very aware of is how often anti-doping testers come into camp, players get tested. We never know when they're coming in, who they're going to test. I don't know of any positive results during my time. He goes on to say the IRFU have good guidelines on supplements and he doesn't see an abuse of supplements in the professional game or the schools game. His son plays schools rugby there. This is obviously based on Paul Kimmage's recent work over two articles in the Sunday Independent. He highlighted the story of Laurent Benazèche, a former French international who has recently published a book in France that Kimmage describes as a brilliant expose on doping. So the story here, I mean, I'm sure you've been following it anyway, but just to get a couple of views on it, uh, Benazèche retires from the sport in 2000, comes back a few years later as a sort of consultant and analyst, becomes concerned about the size of the players, particularly based on one match between Stade Francais and Clermont, where he saw these guys afterwards in the uh, at some sort of reception. It's just going, what the hell? This, this isn't natural. They're huge. There's no fat. It's all muscle. He went public with his concerns in an interview with Le Mans, was sued for defamation by the players, by the professional players' union. He won that case. Uh, so Kimmich talks about him. Uh, there's one one part of the two interviews is essentially his story, which is really interesting, actually, really, uh, really, obviously, really well done by Kimmich, but really um, uh, quite an interesting case of somebody wrestling their conscience and wondering, do I need to take all this hassle that's going to be on me now and ultimately deciding, well, I'd rather answer to, to everybody else than have to sit there for the rest of my life and answer to myself if I don't say anything. So Kimmich goes on to tell the story of a couple of shady characters in French rugby, a doctor, a trainer. He outlines a situation in the UK where it's been reported that a third of all their sports people serving doping bans are rugby union players. And he finishes his second article with the somewhat provocative line, and Ireland... Be honest, do you really want to know? So I'm imagining that's the line that got Alan Quinnan's blood boiling. Ken, he wrote a piece in the Irish Times yesterday, mm. uh, rejected the idea of a doping culture. He says that what Kimmage and Benazet have said is unfair. He says he's a professional for 15 years. If there was a systematic doping culture, he'd have known about it. He highlights the case, a very interesting case, he says. He doesn't name the player, obviously, but he says that one of the provinces in the last 18 months this happened, one of the provinces was, was quite worried about one guy who was bulking up really quickly and they proactively went to the sports council who look after the anti-doping in Ireland and asked them to target test him, which they did and the test came back. He passed the test, but uh, Quinnan was just highlighting the fact that, listen, uh, our provinces actually go out of their way to try to find out if there are these issues. That was a really weird one, wasn't that it? That story. Why don't they talk to the, the guy? I mean, I, I think Quinnan is making the point there Look, this is how, um, you know, the the provinces here have so much integrity that they're prepared to turn in their own player if they yeah, suspect was, was him the point, of, yeah. of wrongdoing. At the same time, uh, if the, you know, if they're concerned about the player, concerned about his health, surely he's the man that they should speak to. I mean, I suppose you talk to a, to a drug cheat, he's not going to 
necessarily tell you the truth. You know, he's not going to say, well, actually. Maybe they did. We don't know. I mean, it's not it's not actually stated in there whether or not they went to him first mm. and asked him, you know, just make sure you're not up to anything. I know. I mean, it, it is. It's, and it's, also, maybe it's, it's, a, maybe, maybe it's a very unfair. If you can't prove it, you go to a guy, listen, it looks like you're bulking up too much. And he's like, well, I'm doing all your weight programs that you're giving me. Yeah. You know, I'm doing all the proper nutrition. That's the other strand of the, of the argument that Quinlan makes, which is that rugby turned professional less than 20 years ago. Of course, the players are now going to be massively, are going to be completely different from, from what they were. Of course they are. I mean, that's, that's, that's the logic that he's making. What else are we paying the strength and conditioning coaches for, I think is his line. I mean, Benisek, um, the line in Benisek's uh, piece with Kimmage, uh, I mean, he said, look, 120 kilos, all muscle, no fat. Mm. <laughs> it's, you know, it, don't make me laugh. He, he, he's essentially saying the evidence is there. The evidence is right there in front of you. This is not possible. Yeah. It's not you can't you don't get this way on like grilled fish. I can't remember if it's Benazir who said who says that line, but you know it's just, you don't get this big eating grilled fish or whatever you know healthy stuff you're supposed to be. Uh, people suggest is the you know um, so uh, it, it it really comes down to that. I, I mean, to be honest, I'm not an expert in this field. I have no idea what the biggest uh, possible size is to get to. You know, just lifting a lot of weights. And eating grilled fish well, and taking whatever legal supplements. Yeah, what's interesting as well about, about Quinlan's piece is the detail he goes into about cortisone, for example, and its effects, about the legal suppositories that he's taken at half time. I like the fact that a, a current player or a recently retired player was willing to go into into all of that because, it, you know, that could be, you know, as, obviously he's backing himself that all, everything he's done is fine, but mm. you, you think some players might be concerned even opening themselves up to, to that kind of thing. He talks about, um, he, he tells a story of the Shannon players in the mid-90s necking back this new carbohydrate drink that one of the lads brings along. Turns out it's full of ephedrine, which, yeah. was, which was banned. But his overall point is that there's not enough, as you said, there's not enough evidence to back up the claims. It's unfair on current players. We've spoken to Brian Carney about this topic on radio and TV. He's played at the top level in league and union. Yeah. And there was a tragic case in league. His friend Terry Newton became, the, I think, the first sports person in the world to test positive for human growth hormone. Yeah. Uh, it affected Newton really really badly. Um, he later died by suicide. Uh, and Carney, which was obviously just horrific uh, all around, but Carney said he hadn't seen the issue in rugby union at all and seemed certain, absolutely certain that nothing was going on during his time at Munster. Yeah. Um, there are, it's funny, in the Kimmich pieces, there are a couple of comparisons made between rugby now and cycling in the worst days of its doping problem. The, supposedly the omerta is similar. That's one of the points that's raised. Yeah. But the issue in cycling, I always thought was much easier to pin down because it's centered around one guy. Yeah. Lance, I mean, as soon as you came to the conclusion, which I came to the I'm amazed that not everybody came to the conclusion sooner, yeah. but once you came to the conclusion that Lance was doping, well, then everything comes crashing down. The UCI are clearly complicit in it. His teammates are obviously yeah. doing it as well. The other teams are doing it. it. It was quite an easy one to pin down. Rugby's a little bit different, unless one of the top guys mm. happens to be caught up in a way. Yeah, but you know, I mean, say for instance, something like Jamie Heaslip the other day. Did you see Jamie Heaslip's response to Paul Kimmage's article? What did Heaslip say? Heaslip said... I don't have the tweet in front of me, but he said something like, oh, he needs some, you know, he needs something to put in his controversial content, something along these lines, essentially suggesting, oh, look at this, you know, Paul Cambridge is mm. whipping up a storm out of nothing. That's like, um, uh, that's a counterproductive way for Jamie Heaslip to address that, that issue. He's yeah, yeah, going to get raised. That's, that's not going to, that's not going to make things quieten down. At all, because you know, well, I mean, I, I've listened to Paul Kimmage on the radio talking about this. He's saying, "Look, you know, I see that, and I'm immediately thinking, there's more here. Mm. You know what I mean? People are trying to shut this up, 
people are trying to show me, you know, trying to dismiss this, trying to dismiss this as all oh, just, you know, some controversialist, you know, n- no, you know, all all heat, no light. That's exactly the kind of stuff that I would always be hearing from the cyclists, you know, trying to cover it up, trying to say, oh, there's nothing to see here. That's not the kind of thing that's going to make Paul Kimmich go, oh, all right. Uh, yeah, fact, so it, it seems as though rugby's all right then. Thanks, thanks, Jamie. There's a big example of that from Fabian Galti in one of Kimmich's pieces. He's the former France captain, well-regarded coach now. And this is even before the Benazet claims came out. This is about another, uh, another part of this story. But he says, this is Galti now, rugby's a sport that demands conflicting physical qualities. It's a sport of effort that lasts 100 minutes. You have to be tough. It's not a race. It's a sport of speed, power, dexterity and communication. A sport where you have to remain clear during combat. I don't know any miracle product that would allow you to master all of that. I mean, this guy's, this <laughs> so guy's actually, stupid. this guy's suggesting that so uh, performance and getting bigger and stronger through That's Fabian performance yeah, 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 why does he train? Yeah. Why do you train, Fabian? Why do your players physically train and lift weights? I mean, apparently rugby's this, uh, it's like chess. It's a contest of, of the mind, of, of <laughs> clear-headedness under pressure. You know, the reason that you train is to become stronger. And the reason that you become stronger is so that in the 99th, 100th minute, you're still able to, to do the kind of things. And if you've got something which can, which can help you train much harder and become much stronger, duh, Fabienne, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to um, make you... Yeah, and that's what worries me. That's why I like Quinlan's response. Quinlan puts out a reason, thought-out thing. Um, yeah, there's Quinlan. nothing stupid in Quinlan. No, exactly, yeah. Whereas what Galti says there is, at best, <laughs> at best stupid, I think it's probably fair to say. But uh, we're going to move on, Ken. You're mm. going to tell us what's coming up in second captain's football. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'm good and evil. I'd say it to your face, not say it to me. I will go to Wakefield and we'll see them. What you doing down here? You're showing me, man. So uh, we're going to talk a bit about the Champions League last night, and we're also going to talk to Alan McLaughlin, whose uh, book, uh, A Different Shade of Green, is out at the moment. It was one of the books that was nominated for uh, Irish Sports Book of the Year, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to talk to him a little bit about that. Sounds good. Coming up uh, well, right now, I should say, it's time for US Murph. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. Brian Murphy, we've been skirting around this topic for the last couple of weeks, so I just got to ask you straight out: How bad are the San Francisco 49ers? Oh man, that's my greeting. That's my. That's how I come on to the podcast of the year uh, by just getting my getting my my groin kicked just like that. Well, listen, hey, first of all, congrats, boys, on the big award, Thanks, and uh, thank you, and to my uh, my namesake Murph, the real Irish Murph. For getting married this weekend, very exciting stuff. Mm. So I know big doings over there in the holiday season, the Christmas season, as it were. So yeah, have I avoided the? You're, the you're yeah. I was, I was, I was about <laughs> to hit you hard there. You're dodging the subject here. You lost to the Oakland Raiders, Brian. Your hated oh. local rivals. I'm going to go ahead and say that now. I mean, you know, I imagine there's not a whole lot of uh, 49er historians over there 
in Ireland. Um, although there will be after they buy the book from Keysar to Levi's by Brian Murphy out now on mm-hmm. Amazon.com. More delay. Uh, but that, I think, is one of the most significant regular season losses in the history of this proud franchise. I really, really do. I mean, prone to hyperbole at times. Why not? It's fun being hyperbolic. But th- that loss meant so much that this four-year run of Jim Harbaugh and all that it's entailed, all the craziness, the black sweatshirt, the khakis, the the media dysfunction, the 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 clashes with uh, the the you know other coaches. Don't forget that um, the the entire sort of uh, drama that he has with the front office and the owner. I really feel like that that was the symbolic flag plant of the end of the era. It was a great era. Three straight years, the 49ers went to the NFC Championship. One year, they made it to the Super Bowl, to the five-yard line with seconds to go and couldn't punch it in against the Baltimore Ravens. But ever since February, guys, when we heard Pro Football Talk, the website Pro Football Talk reported that the 49ers tried to trade Jim Harbaugh. It It happens very rarely in American sports that a coach gets traded. It has happened, but it's very rare. That uh, that they tried to trade him to the Cleveland Browns for a draft pick. We were like, whoa, 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 what? This has been a great. And, and then was it revealed that there is this awful relationship, a toxic, poisonous relationship between Jim Harbaugh, the general manager Trent Baalke, and the owner Jed York. And basically, they've been fighting uphill on that ever since. And Colin Kaepernick's been a mess because of it. I don't know. I can say directly because of it, but certainly the the focus and the cohesion hasn't been there. They've missed a couple of major linebackers. Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman have been injured. Uh, the the Frank Frank Gore, the running back, got a little older. The, the offensive coordinator doesn't know what to do with Kaepernick. Kaepernick's star has, I wouldn't say stalled. I'd say it started to decline even, and it's a question of what's going to happen with his future. All Add that all up, guys, and put it together with a humiliating, pride-costing, face, uh, just face-planting, Loss to the one and eleven Oakland Raiders, who haven't had a winning season in a decade, and who are your just your laughable crossbreed rivals. Just your, I guess the I'm going to try to make an analogy to English Premier League soccer, mm-hmm. but Man City before they got rich and good, weren't they a joke forever? They were a joke. Every once yeah. in a while, they'd get a result against Manchester United, which would be hugely hey. embarrassing for Manchester United. That would that's the analogy. That's the Man City before they got good. That's the Raiders. Uh, just terrible joke for us to go for the 49ers to go over there and lose in front of that awful team was. To, and, and to me, it's symbolic. It's symbolic of the of the poison. So that's how the 49ers are. Brian, I saw. Yeah, not great is is the answer. I saw your boy Jerry Rice was apparently saying that look, Harbaugh. Everyone knows Harbaugh's gone at the end of the year, and if he if they try to trade him last season, I'm sure he hasn't done anything to to keep him there but one of the points raised I saw this uh, I think it was on ESPN yesterday a conversation between a few of their guys and they were saying the issue with Harbaugh is he looks like he's lost his fire a little bit I mean this is a guy who you know from interviewing him is quite a um, quite a fiery character but people are saying maybe he's lost a little bit of his passion which is incredible and by the way yes we had a quite a celebrated incident with Jim on Tuesday on the show where yeah I got into it a little bit with him guys I I think I think uh, is this self-aggrandizing to say I think I went viral I think I went viral for about 24 hours there. Uh, I, we didn't anticipate the interview to take such a sour turn. We were talking about the Raiders and Kaepernick's slump and everything. But one of the dimensions of Kaepernick's slump and his fall from grace is his uh, petulant behavior with the media. He has gotten worse than ever before giving one-word answers in interviews, 
creating these incredibly socially awkward uh, mass press conferences where questions are asked, and instead of playing the game and giving a fluffy answer that makes you know most people feel like they're they can write something down in their notebooks, he's giving literally one, two, three word answers. I don't know. Yes. No. We need to play better. We need to play better. I need to be better. That's all he's saying. There's no elaboration. And it's gotten very, very awkward. And last Wednesday before the Raider game, he just he put it on full blast. And the big qu- they asked him 32 questions, and his word response total was 87 words. <laughs> so we're just over two words per answer. So that went into Sunday. Yeah, it was counted up and it was made a big to do. We were making jokes of things that are longer than Colin Kaepernick's word count, like. Uh, uh, Disney's Dalmatians, you know, Jay-Z's problems, Nana's Luft balloons, you know, all these things that are longer than Kaepernick's transcript. Uh, but um, And so what happened was Sunday he went out there and he stunk it up. Not only that, guys, there was gossip. TMZ caught him uh, in a shouting match with a Raiders player in the tunnel at halftime, screaming, I'm coming for you, I'm coming for you, while the Raiders player screamed profanities at him. So he's losing his cool. And then they lost and he played terribly. And his post-game press conference was awful. Just dreadful. And we had Harbaugh on, and I said to him at the end, I said, you know, Jim, the, the, the part about the public perception in the media, I said, are you – you know, Jim Harbaugh was a player. He was quite a media dazzler. He actually used to tell great stories and all that. And I said, you know, yeah, I remember those days. I said – and Colin kind of reminds me of a, a moody teenager at a dinner table who doesn't want to talk about his day at school, and Jim took quite <laughs> exception to that. He said that I insulted Kaepernick. Said I called him a kid. He said I was trying to provoke him, and he wasn't going to stand for these insults. He was going to move on with his day. And so uh, we said, well, we'll put you out of your misery, Jim. We'll let you go. And then, boom, it hit the web, and everybody went nuts. So that's how – it's even bad when he comes on the Murph and Mac show, his beloved Murph and Mac show, even then. So uh, has he lost his passion? Most people felt like his interview with us was symbolic of him just kind of mailing it in, that he's kind of done. It's hard to think a competitor like Jim Harbaugh would do that. But, guys, the hot rumor is that the Oakland Raiders themselves will be the team that trades a draft pick to buy out the last year of Harbaugh's contract and that he would be coaching the Oakland Raiders next year, trying to restore the Raiders to glory. Brian, that's known as, in this part of the world as your Meg Ryan moment. Uh, M- Michael Parkinson, the great uh, UK talk show host, uh, had a f- an infamous interview with Meg Ryan that didn't get on too well and eventually... He tried to talk to her about if she'd gone to journalism school. He thought that might be something that would be of interest. And eh, there was a bit of tetchiness on both sides. And eventually he said, as a, as a journalist, what would you do in an interview like this when it's uh, going pear-shaped? And she said, I'd probably wrap it up. <laughs> and he <laughs> wrapped it up. Company. I'm with Meg Ryan and Michael Parkinson. Yeah. Now, in your case, who was in the wrong, Parkinson or Ryan? Uh, well, it's generally seen that Ryan was, but I have to say, I think Parkinson was... Parkinson was spiker than usual in that interview. He didn't seem to be making as much effort as he generally does to to empathize with his, um, you know, with his interviewee. Well, I got so I, it was funny is I now that I've you know I had my twenty four hours of viral is that I, I found that you know it, what's fun about these viral moments in our society now is that everybody gets to go to the comments and take sides. And so I was heartened by all the people who said, hey, Murphy did nothing wrong, and he's totally within his rights, and Harbaugh was the petulant one. And then you see the other side. The people tell you what they really think of you. Who's this, you know, blankety-blank, arrogant radio blankety-blank who thinks he can insult this and insult that and no respect for Harbaugh and blah, blah, blah. So everybody screams and yells, and then I think you just go on to the next thing. I think after 24 hours you expire, and then you go on to the next thing. So, But that's, yes, we had our Parkinson-Ryan moment. 
And with Jim Harbaugh, I think that's just kind of always around the corner. I mean, he, he's so moody. One of the things, we had a guy from NFL Network on our show, and we said, what is it? If, if the 49ers had to really just detail what their problem was with Jim Harbaugh, why did they try to trade him to Cleveland, et cetera? And they said it was an inconsistency in his behavior, that he was wildly moody and, and that it was hard to work in the environment. He was very difficult to work with because he would be very hard on people. And I said, well, that, that's kind of what it was like to interview him for four years because sometimes he could be so charming. He has a tremendous amount of charisma and a great knowledge and, and stories and anecdotes, and he can really charm the pants off you, but he also can just ice you and just shut you down and make – a human interaction really uncomfortable. So that apparently is what's worn on the players is what we've heard now is that the players are sort of done with it. And, you know, for the first time you can really say you're seeing it on the field. You couldn't see it in the first three years. They were, they were one of the great stories the last three years, you know, NFC championship every year and Kaepernick star on the rise and Harbaugh as the great new coach of the NFL and the 49er franchise of Montana and rice being brought back to glory and now you see it coming to an end. And uh, it should probably end in – they go to Seattle this weekend for the first time in Harbaugh's four-year tenure. The Niners are 10-point underdogs. You know, Vegas sets the line um, what point spread. And the, and the 49ers have always been either favored or super close, even in difficult games. But for them to be a double-digit underdog, 10 points, goes to show you how far it's fallen. So it'll be over soon, boys, and then we'll see what happens to Kaepernick's future, and we'll see what happens to the 49ers. It could be the end of your interviewing with, uh, with Jim Harbaugh as well, Brian. But I want to ask you about uh, something that I think we all like to see from time to time, players getting involved in uh, societal issues. Um, uh, most recently, uh, I think it was mostly St. Louis, Ram- St. Louis Rams players, but also some, some other NFL guys and some uh, at least one NBA, high-profile NBA player, uh, putting forward, uh, putting across the message, I can't breathe. I know Ken, Ken was in LA at the weekend to watch Robbie Keane. Yeah, I was at the um, MLS oh. Cup game, Brian, and um, I remember seeing at the stadium quite a lot of people with placards saying, I can't breathe. Uh, Even at the MLS game, huh? Yeah, absolutely. So it seems wow, so. Because, uh, you know, usually these things are, tend to be, not to. Um, to, to generalize, but it, you know, it's heavily, primarily a race issue, and um, and and you know, obviously the NBA is heavily African American, so you'd think, but the MLS is not at all. So I'm surprised and 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 sort of delighted to hear that actually that there's some activism out there. Can you explain what what, what it is, what that message is about? Well, okay, so yeah, I mean, you know, we talked about this. You know, it's funny we talked about this a few months ago. And it looks like we got a little bit of a change from a few months ago. Things change. Things don't stay static. Because remember, um, when the Ferguson, Missouri thing went down, we were wondering where the protest was. And I remember our mutual friend Howard Bryan on ESPN wrote a big column saying, where is it gone? And now we talked about how money and Nike had muted people like Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods, who said they never wanted to get involved in social issues. But things have now really – this has been a rough fall, rough autumn socially for the United States because of the Ferguson, Missouri incident where the young man, young black man was shot, he was unarmed and by a cop, and then what happened since then, guys, is that the, the grand jury has chosen not to indict the cop. No, no charges whatsoever, no, no trial. So that has set off waves of protests that are still going on to this day. Just last night in, San, in Berkeley, California, uh, across the bay here from San Francisco, uh, freeways were shut down from protesters uh, uh, spilling onto the freeways. So it's still going on as we speak. And it's been doubled down because it, over the summer in Staten Island, New York, a uh, African American gentleman named Eric and Gar- Eric Garner was having a, uh, a, a verbal dispute with some policemen who appeared to be hassling him for selling a loose selling a cigarette illegally. And he was it, it, boy, a guy filmed the whole thing. It's it's really tough to watch. You know, often I like to turn you guys on to YouTube things that are fun to watch. This one is very difficult to watch because it really does 
look like an incredible case of police harassment. And they wound up choking him because he keeps saying, listen, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. He has no weapons. He does nothing violent. They get him in a chokehold. They bring him to the ground um, because they want to arrest him. And he's saying, why are you arresting me? And one cop decides to choke him out, and he goes to the ground. Big guy, too. Big, heavy guy. Goes to the ground. He's asthmatic, and he starts saying, and it's very plaintive and, and haunting. He's saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And he died. Yeah. And it was just, it's so heartbreaking. He's a father of six, and he just, you're stunned at the violence that the cops enact on him. And then look what happened again. Grand jury came down last week, no charges. So now we have two cases, and there's more that we can't even get into now for lack of time, but more unarmed black uh, Americans being killed by cops and no charges being filed. So now we're in a state where. You know, things are starting to bubble over. And Derek Rose, the Chicago Bulls point guard, who's very, very good, broke the mold by wearing a T-shirt in warm-ups that says, I can't breathe. And it was like everybody knew exactly what he was talking about. And it was like, wow, okay. And now, Tuesday night, the Los Angeles Lakers, led by Kobe Bryant, all except for one player, wore I can't breathe T-shirts. So now it's spread to the entire Laker team. Now I'm going to tell you this. It's going to be interesting to see the next few days how many other teams join in. And Kobe, quite eloquent, after the game, saying uh, that he went on saying, I think it's uh, us supporting a movement and supporting each other as well as athletes. I think the beauty of our country lies in its democracy. I think if we ever lose the courage to be able to speak up for the things we believe in, I think we really lose the value our country stands for. It's important we have our opinions. It's important we stand up for what we believe in. We all don't have to agree with it. It's completely fine. That's what makes this a beautiful country. So Kobe with a, an eloquent statement and the Laker team doing it. So And Adam Silver the NBA says, you know, they're supposed to wear Adidas gear. And but he says he's not going to find them. The commissioner he did say, however, uh, freedom of choice. What he say? He said I respect them voicing their personal views, but my preference would be for them to wear their on-court attire. So it's it's going on. It's it's kind of revving right now, and I'm I'm quite encouraged after our conversation from a couple months ago that uh, we're getting a little bit of movement on that front. And I applaud Derek Rose and Kobe Bryant. Brian, we're going to head off to enjoy. Kieran's wedding. You you tried to watch the Seattle game this Sunday, maybe through. Uh, <laughs> you guys gonna have Harbaugh on the show uh, next week? We you might gonna, we might yeah, get Harbaugh on and, and test her test her interviewing skills. Listen, Brian, Here's great. Yeah. Here's the four. Here's the four: Harbaugh, Murphy, Ryan, Parkinson. Let's do it. <laughs> all right. Take care, Brian. Great to talk all to you. All right, guys. All the best. Take care. Mm. You remember my grandmother? No disrespect. When I used to get in trouble, she looked at me and said, "Hmm." And I knew a butt whooping was coming at the house. I'm an alien. Think about it. Roy Jones is born. Jane 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 Tony is born. I ran Barkley is born. But I'm telling you right now, I'm an alien. Tell me why I'm not. Explain why I'm here. I'm an alien. I should have been on this game 15, maybe 20 years ago, man. And then that's why I said, I'm an alien. I'm an alien. Tell me why I'm not. Explain why I'm here. I'm an alien. But I'm telling you right now, I'm an alien. Just Google it and get your own information. I'm an alien. He should be going. I'm an alien. Google it. I'm an alien. Mm. I'm an alien. I'm an alien. Just on the point that Brian was making about, it was quite interesting, uh, whatever about players making the protests, it's been the reaction to that. I mean, mixed. Obviously, some people have been saying, "What do they do?" It depends on your point of view on the on the initial uh, yeah, the initial it, incidents. It's, it's it's funny how closely it seems to correlate with yeah. the, with that. But yeah. what I would say is that if this had happened, I would say five years ago, 
Don't St. Louis, Louis players would be banned. You know, they'd be, they'd be, there's no way the NFL would be happy for them to. The NFL are incredibly ugh, overprotective of their image and everything, and they really don't want to get, get involved in that side of things. But now they've, they, they've, I don't even want to say gotten away with it because I don't think they've necessarily done anything wrong at all. Mm. But the fact that the, the players can do this quite openly now, that Derek Rose can do it in the NBA, that these players can do it in the NFL. The NFL should just try. Just try and and come down on, on that protest, and I think I think you'll see what happen. What mm-hmm. would happen then? They'd end up having to ban all the players in the league. You know what I mean? That would be. Uh, I mean, that, I think that would be the consequence at this point if they tried to do that. I mean, to be honest, it's ridiculous how how closely they police the ability of of these athletes to express themselves um, politically if that's what they want to do. Um, you know. I, I suppose you know they make the argument. Well, they're getting paid a lot of money, so they can shut up. Mm. That's essentially the argument that apparently you know, stops everything now. You yeah. know what I mean? And, oh, these are athletes. You know why are they trying to lecture us on politics? Well, why shouldn't they? Like they're citizens. You know, are you not allowed to have your opinions about the politics of the republic? You know, in the United States, is that that's no longer considered to be in good taste as a citizen to be aware of what's happening in the republic and to have and to and to speak your mind upon it? That's apparently bad now. Well, that's totally ridiculous. Um, I think the NFL realised they can't do anything about it, um, and I think it's a great it's a great sign, actually. Um, I mean, I say this now. Maybe next week, all those players are going to get banned. Who knows? <laughs> banned for life. But you know, um, it is. It's. I think they've been kind of too silent for too long. It's a. It's a power that they have been reluctant to exercise. I'm talking about the football players in, in America. I mean, they're very influential. Oh yeah. Um, and if they are going to become more of a voice on issues like that tonight. I think that's good. All right, that's, uh, that's it from us for the time being. The Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast still to come later today, including Alan McLaughlin there, whose book is really interesting. He's got a, a really good story, and I, we've interviewed him once or twice in the past, and I, I quite like McLaughlin's personality. He's, he's kind of spiky, uh, which mm. is always good, uh, So we'll, and quite a smart guy, so we'll chat to him about, about plenty within all of that. Thanks very much for listening to this show. Um, we better head on, really, to this wedding, I guess. Massive congrats to Murph and Jill. Uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.